This audio is brought to you by Business Radio, powered by Wharton, originally airing on SiriusXM. This segment is brought to you by the Zuckerberg Institute. This is Randy Zuckerberg Means Business on Business Radio. I'm thrilled to introduce our final guest for the show. Uh, welcome to the show, Christina Farr, technology and health reporter at CNBC. Christina, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. Thrilled to have you. Um, maybe uh, set the scene for us. What does your kind of your life, your work from home setup look like right now? Oh my gosh. Um, well, we do have a very small one-bedroom apartment, so uh, it's really a matter of finding separate areas in the house where we can, my fiance and I can can work without disturbing each other. So it's been definitely been a work in progress, but I think now we're, we're settling into it and 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 starting to figure it out. It's um it's pretty amazing how you know closets have now become offices and bathrooms and you know you, you can make an office out of anything in a home but you absolutely have to get creative and I definitely recommend getting an exercise bike um just to get a little exercise that's been the best the best purchase we've made during this this whole thing Yes, we actually we got one also and it I it has really just improved our level of of activity uh tenfold during the day um Christina, maybe you can set the scene for us a little bit on how tech companies, what you're seeing, how they're stepping up to help us fight the current situation. Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a really great question because, you know, these, these tech companies have sort of been the, the enemy for a, you know, a good many years now. You, you sort of heard of the, the tech lash um, that we've seen with, you know, people sort of questioning the, the motives of some of these companies and whether they're in the best interests and, you know, that's, that's really starting to change a little bit now um, because I am actually seeing these companies start to step up. And, you know, I'm taking a critical eye as a journalist towards what they're doing. And there are certainly problems. I mean, nothing has been flawless or, or perfect in this situation. But overall, I think, you know, some of the work that they're doing, especially around kind of you think about what, what Apple and Google are doing with contact tracing, um, you know, they're doing things in a way that I think is actually quite privacy preserving. And, you know, I, I'd love to say otherwise, but it's um, um, honestly, I think that, you know, they have been rising up to the occasion more so than I would have expected. Mm. Maybe can you give us a little more background uh, about the tech behind contact tracing? You just yeah. mentioned about Apple and Google working on this, but uh, maybe you can give a just a, a little more of an overview. Yeah, it's a really great question. So contact tracing is sort of an old school epidemiological method of figuring out kind of who a person that, that is known to have a disease has been in contact with so that, you know, these, these sort of field workers can let them know and, and uh, they can potentially self-isolate themselves. And it's a, it's a method that I think will become more and more important as we seek to, to reopen the economy. Um, so the story that I've heard is that some some internal employees at Apple had this idea of, you know, could we somehow use the smartphone for this to figure out who you've been in close close contact with um, that you may may not even know about yourself. And they looked at a whole variety of different methods. There's um, methods to use GPS, 
Um, and then also Bluetooth, which is actually, I think, the, the slightly more accurate of the two, but also um, more privacy preserving of the two. And they ended up using um, Bluetooth. And it's sort of a, it's a system that kind of generates a random string of codes um, that is not stored on the device, but um, will be accessible at some later point in time by public health. Um, for both, you know, the, the phone that you're using and if you if you come into contact less than six feet from someone else. Um, so it's uh, it's a really interesting kind of complex system, but I think ultimately done, you know, with public health in partnership with public health, not just by tech on its own. Um, and they've come up with a method, I think, that, you know, even the hardline uh, privacy folks that I talked to have said, you know, sort of much better than some of the alternatives that, that use GPS. Mm. And uh, I, I think it's so interesting, I mean, especially since, you know, our phones are the one thing that all of us uh, always have on us. And it, it's, um, you know, it's not very common often that you see companies like Google and Apple working together on a project, which is definitely very interesting. I don't think I've seen that ever, really, for them to <laughs> set aside competitive differences and say, you know, let's actually do something here that, that could be helpful. Um, yeah, so and it's happening at the highest levels. It's at, it's at the level of you know the CEO of both companies meeting up and deciding to work on this together and trying to do it in a way that you know doesn't uh, provide kind of governments with access to our first name and, and phone number, um, which is happening in other countries, and that and that does really scare me. Um, and I don't know whether these are things that we can just roll back in the aftermath of this pandemic. Yes. Do you think, um, what have you seen the the responses when you are, are writing about or discussing contact tracing? Are people comfortable with their location being tracked? Do they need to understand more? Are they comfortable with other people being tracked, but not them? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, um, it, you know, it's, I, what I have seen is really kind of like a instantaneous reaction often that if you if you see a tech company be involved with anything related to health or data, there's this sort of reaction of, you know, I don't want this. I don't I don't want these companies interfering with my life any more than they are. And that, I think, is a very valid way of thinking about things because, you know, they have interfered with our privacy in, in ways that, you know, people were not aware of for years. Um, but when we start to get into the finer details, you know, I think I think it's sort of one of those things where you, we've got to consider what sort of system we want and what our goals are um, as a country, you know, as, as individuals and how do we balance kind of our, our sort of rights to privacy with this need to get people back to work and reopen the economy and try to mitigate the spread of this disease. Um, so, you know, we're being faced with all these hard choices and you know, all in. I think that the that the approach that they that they are taking it, it could be it could be a lot worse, and um, and the fact that it uses Bluetooth and and not GPS, it's sort of a little bit of a of a nuance there because it's not just um, location tracking in the sense of you know now that the government's going to know exactly where you've been and who you've been talking to. Mm. We're speaking with Christina Farr, technology and health reporter at CNBC. Um, Christina. Uh, a few of the other things that I've heard thrown around are kind of temperature checks upon going into restaurants and offices, antibody testing. What are these things? How would they realistically work and who's working on them? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we could expect to see in the future, um, you know, a, a setup where we try to go back to work. We try to walk into a restaurant and we have our temperature checked. Um, you, you've seen that in other parts of the world that had an experience with, with covid earlier than in the United States. But you know, people have said that 
while this is sort of a method that, that could pinpoint some of the folks that are sick, um, it's not very foolproof because there's a lot of people walking around potentially with COVID who have no symptoms or mild symptoms, may not even have a fever. So it's not really something we can rely on. And um, instead, we should be looking more at, at widespread testing, um, which really, I think, is the key here. We, you know, it's not enough to just be scanning temperatures all over the place. Um, so, you know, that's a piece of it, and it, and it, it could come. Um, and it, I would, you know, again, put it in that bucket of um, of things that, you know, maybe maybe rolled out that make us feel very uncomfortable, but could be deemed necessary um, in the next kind of six months to a year. And we just have to decide if, if um, what we're getting out of it is, is worth it for what we're giving up. Mm, I think it, that's... It. It's an interesting trade-off that that we're going to have to take notice of. What is uh, syndromic surveillance? I'm not even sure that I pronounced that correctly, <laughs> but um, who's working on this? What is it? It's So I am just fascinated by syndromic surveillance. Um, I've been studying it for the past uh, two or three weeks, but biosurveillance, I think, is another area that is going to be so important in the next um, coming period, as well as kind of some of the methods that we've already talked about. And it's the idea that if you don't have widespread testing, which we don't have, how do you figure out who potentially is sick, how many people are sick in an area, and what is the next COVID-19 hotspot? And this has been actually going on since the 90s, I've, I've learned. But, you know, even today, as you as you walk into the hospital and you say that you have symptoms, those symptoms are recorded, like your chief complaint, and it's sent to public health. And they're specifically looking at influenza-like illness. Um, so they can start to analyze trends across the country of, oh, my goodness, suddenly there is this spike in people going into the hospital in, you know, cities like New York or New Orleans, and they can respond weeks earlier before they've seen just case counts and, and lab test results. Um, and actually, you know, I, I've spoken to folks who have access to some of the data in New York, and they started to see a spike around March 4th, which was two weeks before any of the shelter-in-place, stay-at-home orders. So I think this is how we can get ahead of the virus. Um, and it's a, it's a method of surveillance that has been going on for a long time and, and has been vetted. Um, so I think, I think that's pretty fascinating, the idea of, of tracking symptoms and not just test results um, as, a, as a way to see how prevalent this virus really is. Wow. So interesting. Um, in our, just in our final moments together, is there anything else that you have your eye on that I haven't mentioned? Um, well, I think, uh, I'd love to see, you know, what Amazon does as a company. I think that's one that I'm, I'm really watching because, you know, this is, this is a company that knows logistics and they know they have this amazing delivery network. So I, I wonder how, they end up applying that, and I wouldn't be surprised to see them deciding to get into at-home testing. Um, so that's something that I'll be watching because we, we desperately need more testing, as I mentioned. And can you imagine your Amazon delivery driver dropping off your um, groceries, but then also a COVID-19 test? That's um, that's fascinating. And I definitely want to keep up with all of your, your writing and your research to see if that happens. Christina, where can our listeners keep up with you in your writing? Um, Twitter. I'm, I'm, I'm always there. So uh, follow me at Chrissy Fall on, on Twitter and happy to engage on, on any of these topics. And thank you so much for the time.
Thank you so much for joining us today. I learned so much in such a short amount of time. So thank you very much. For more guest interviews, check out our Wharton Business Radio Highlights podcast on iTunes and Google Play. 